We are in a message series called Stories. Somebody say stories. Stories are powerful. Stories change lives. On the first week we talked about, uh, we interviewed Alexandria who talked about her story of dealing with divorce and how God was still able to touch her in that situation. Amen. There's life after divorce. And last week, yeah, we can put our hands together. Yeah. And 20 people gave their lives to Jesus that day, so it was powerful. And last week we uh, uh, talked, uh, we interviewed Femi, who's one of our leaders here. Uh, him and his, and his wife couldn't have babies for five years. And they were believing God. And God blessed them with a baby. Amen. And so God can still work miracles. Amen. Wonderful. Well, we're going to interview another couple today. It's going to be incredible. But somebody say next week. Come on, one more time. Say next week. Next week, we have another couple here that found victory going through cancer. If you know somebody who's going through cancer or a family member who, who has somebody in their family that are dealing with cancer, please come next week and hear the story. And we're going to pray and believe God for healing in Jesus' name. Amen. Hallelujah. How many people know that God is still in the healing business? Amen. Hallelujah. Come on. Yes, yes, yes. All we can do is believe and pray. We can, all we can do is believe and pray. And we're going to do just that in this church. Amen. But today, without further ado, please welcome Donald and Peggy Durand to the stage. Come on. Woo! Yeah, 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 yeah. Awesome, awesome. Woohoo! Incredible. I'm going to say that one more time. Please welcome Donald and Peggy. Awesome. Sit down, guys. Wonderful. Well, we're going to jump uh, right into this. Who is Donald and Peggy? Give us a little history here. All right. Well, I guess I'll start right from the very beginning. Yep. As when um, her and I met and... She was 13 years old, and I was 16 years old. Yep. Wow. That's how Somebody say, wow. You know I'm going to do this. Say, wow, backwards. Wow. <laughs> yeah, so we go back. She's my um, first love, my first true love. Um, uh, Peggy and I, you know, way back then, you know, the relationship, I think, only lasted, you know, like within a year. Um, she was having to move to Florida to go live with her grandparents. She come from a broken family. So it was hard. Um, I'm going to bring you right to this uh, dramatic, um, what I thought was our ending uh, when she was uh, telling me the news that uh, she's going to be, you know, going to Florida and, and you know, I'm not going to be seeing her anymore. <laughs> so... Uh, it was raining, it was a rainy day, and I remember going, you know, to pick her up. I was in my car, and, um, you know, she got in the car, and we were just, you know, going for a ride. And, you know, when I picked her up, she's, you know, just sobbing and um, crying and, you know, telling me the story that, you know, she's going to go live with her grandparents and, you know, have them raise her in, in Florida. So it was pretty devastating uh, news, and... Um, so the scene was, you know, she, um, uh, we didn't get too far, you know, there was this field and it was, you know, pouring rain out and she's crying and she just, you know, jumps out of the car and, and um, 
And I, you know, jumped out of the car following her, chasing her, and, you know, finally got to her, and, you know, uh, the scene was, you know, we're just uh, holding each other and both crying and crying. Um, and, and what, like I said, what I thought was my ending or our ending of this relationship, um, little did I know that was just the beginning. Wow. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Wow. And Peggy, what was that like for you, uh, 13, moving from this area to Florida to go live with your parents, your grandparents, actually, because your parents couldn't, could not raise you? Yeah. Well, hello. Hi. Um, my dad left us when I was in fourth grade, and then my mom was a single mom with my sister and I, and she was trying to work three jobs, and she wasn't around. And I was really not attended well to. So I met him at a dance <laughs> and just fell in love with him when I saw him. And um, anyways, I ended up living at a friend's house at 13 and, a, well, 14 by then. 14 years old, just moving into a friend's house for like a month and called my grandparents and I said, I need a family. I, I feel abandoned. I want a family. So I went to Florida, and that's why I left. But I praise God for my grandparents because they gave me a family foundation. Wow. Let's celebrate grandparents. Uh, we honor every grandparent in this house. Thank you for all you do. Now let's dive into the meat of this story. You went through uh, a tough season, Donald. After Peggy leaves, at 13 years old, you're 16, the love of your life goes away. Mm. And there's so much that happened here in the middle mm. before you guys were reunited. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, so the years went on and, you know, I come to grips with, you know, I'm not going to see this girl again. And just went on with my life and um, ended up. Uh, you know, meeting this other girl and um, buying a house and decided, okay, you know, this is this is what you do. You know, you just move in together. And uh, so that's what we did. I bought this house. It was in um, in Drake. And, I, and we just moved in there and, uh, you know, just decided, okay, we're just going to live. And the relationship was just really rocky. It was rocky from the beginning. I just think, you know, I spent more time at my mom's house than I did at, at, at home, wow. if you want to call it home. But... Um, just a rocky relationship. Um, I remember just um, living there and just you know, doing whatever I can to do. You know, by this time we had children and I was just, you know, just taking care of my family. Um, so in, in the midst of that, you know, the relationship just, you know, just broke down and we never really, you know, won, you know, never got married, never made that commitment. And, um, you know, there was some infidelity in, involved here, and we just, uh, the relationship just went bad. And as bad as it was, and even though there so was... So that, that infidelity was, was her being unfaithful, not, not you. Yeah, it was her being unfaithful, and um, I was just broken. You know, I didn't know what to do, no way to turn. I, had, I didn't have God in my life, obviously. I had nothing, and I thought, you know, okay, I'm just going to... Just do what I, I have. I mean, I was devastated that it happened. Um, but, you know, even after that, I, um, you know, lived with her for, you know, still went on six or seven years. And then, you know, that 
and fidelity happened, I still, at that point, even asked her to marry me even after that. Wow. I was just so lost, and I just didn't, I guess, know what to do, where to turn. Um, so that happened. We ended up getting married. You know, we had the kids, and, um, and then none of that stopped. It just kept going, you know. So um, at that point, um, you know, there was this other piece of property that became available. It was right across the street from where I was living, and it was right on a lake. And uh, my parents had sold their house yeah. that, that I had lived in my whole entire life. And my father just go ahead and he just gave me, um, you know, $50,000 of his money. Oh, wow. To, you know, just That's to build. That's a good dad. That's just a to, good dad. Just to build this house across the street. So, I want to. I want to be adopted into your family. <laughs> that's a good day. Yeah. Well, he was. I was his favorite. Wow. Oh, that's good. <laughs> it's true. I can attest to that. Wow. Yeah. So Baby's he gave you fifty thousand dollars. So fifty thousand dollars bought this property across the street. It was just a a, a, a summer camp, and it but it had two hundred feet of water frontage, and um and I just went ahead and um soaked up all my time with just building this house. So I worked on it every single day. What? Yeah, I know. Eight minutes. Um, so I just went ahead and built this house every single day. I mean, three o'clock in the morning, I remember just staying up till three o'clock in the morning. Every single day, all my time was invested in this house. Um, so, and then obviously, you know, this relationship was suffering too, um, even worse. And um, I ended up building this big, beautiful house, uh, you know, and it was, you know, worth probably, you know, $500,000. But no sooner than I got it built, um, and part of that 50000 part of that deal was that my mother and father was going to live on the uh, third floor, you know, so I built them an in-law apartment. So they all moved in, and, you know, we all moved into this house, and then it just, you know, went downhill really quick from there. Um, you know, my parents ended up getting thrown out. I ended up getting thrown out. By the lady. By the lady, wow. yeah. And, you know, there was a restraining order involved, and we just, you know, everything just went down the hill. I was separated from my kids and, uh, you know, taken away from all this. So now I'm in this place where, you know, I had nothing. Um, my mother and father were living in a basement at my uncle's house. So now, you know, they were out of house, and I was out two houses. And now I'm living in this basement with my mother and my father, and my father's actually dying of cancer. And um, so we're just living there together, just, you know, just, just living, you know, after losing everything. And um, I had a man that just uh, came up to me because I was at work one day, and this man just come up to me. His name was Robert Forsley, and he went to Community Christian Fellowship, okay? And he just came up to me, and he... Um, he asked if he could pray for me. Mm. So here's this guy, and I knew nothing about this, and he wanted to pray for me. And I'm like, yeah, sure, go ahead and pray again. I just, you know, we <laughs> held hands. And I remember being really embarrassed. This guy is just praying for me. And then he, um, and then he invited you, me. You talked about, um, so you're in the midst of all this craziness. You just got thrown out. Mm. Uh, your parents got thrown out. Mm. These beautiful homes that you built and... Mm. And all that. So this guy comes to you and he's telling you about Jesus. Mm. Where did he come to you? What, what was that scenario like? That's, that's interesting. Just out of the blue, he just shows up. Yeah, yeah, just out of the blue. You know, he was there, you know, kind of, you know, 
on some business, but this is what he did. You know, he asked to pray for me, and like I said, it was very embarrassing, but um, I just did what he asked, yeah. and um, he invited me to the church. I went to the church and, you know, started making friends there. At this time here, you know, I'm by myself, and I just started, you know, going to this church, and I felt something there. There was some love there that I was just, you know, starting to develop some relationships, and um, and I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior at that time. Wow. And ah, yeah. Let's remember, that's why it's important to never hold back and invite people to church. Mm. You never know what they're going through in their life. Yeah, yeah so, uh, you know, now I'm attending the church, and, um, but in the midst of this now, um, there's an um, ugly divorce going on. Um, and this divorce, um, according to my lawyer, and I'll quote, he said, was the divorce from hell. Uh, you know, it went on for two years because there's all this property going on, and, you know, and I just was fighting, you know, to get back my, my children and get back my houses. And I thought, you know, I deserve this. I, you know, I need to be in here. You know, I built this house. My mother and father gave me $50,000 for this thing. And, you know, and I need to be in there taking care of my kids. So, um, but for, that went on for two years and it was just unsuccessful. I mean, there were court proceedings and there was just no end to it. So then I went to a, um, a tent meeting. Community Christian Fellowship had a, a, a tent meeting that they held every summer, and it was on the Pawtucket Boulevard in Lowell, okay, right along the river here, you know. And I went to this tent meeting and um, ran into Robert Forsley, of all people, you know. And um, he's, That's the guy who led you to that's Christ. That's the guy that led me to, to, to Jesus. So now he asked me, what's wrong with you? There's something wrong. I'm like, yeah, there's something wrong, you know. I'm going through a divorce, there's houses and, you know, my parents' money and, you know, we're all, you know, living in this basement and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Well, he turned around and, um, you know, took a moment and said, I want you to give her those houses. Wow. So, well, let's, let's. <laughs> <laughs> did, you, did you guys hear this? <laughs> <laughs> now, I'm a pastor here, but I'm going to be real. Now, you, you built these houses. She is cheating. She gets you thrown out with your parents. And he says, give her the houses. So I thought he was crazy. <laughs> and um, as soon as he told me that, I just said, yeah, okay, yep, thank you, amen, hallelujah. I'll see you later. <laughs> So I got in my car that day. I think I burnt, you know, burnt a little rubber from that area, and I just, yeah, I'm not going back there. That, they didn't understand me. I don't know, you know, if he heard the story right, but I'm like, no, I'm, you, you're getting this backwards. I don't get you, people. So I wasn't going back to that church that day. Uh, lo and behold, two weeks later, I found myself in my attorney's office saying to my attorney, I want to give her these houses. Wow. Wow. I want to give her these houses. I want to surrender all this stuff. I want to, I'm, I'm giving her both houses um, and whatever, you know, all that stuff. And um, just to get this whole thing final. Well, he couldn't get on the phone fast enough with that other attorney. 
because you know of what he was going through with you know with this whole all these proceedings there was just no end to it it was just and this obviously was going to be an end so he's calling the other attorney uh you know within five minutes you know there was it, it was done and and yeah that marriage was over within that week um signed sealed and delivered it was over um so at that point i just um you know, just, you know, some time went on, and I just remember just, you know, saying to God, okay, you know, God, where are you? Um, I got nothing here, you know, so days turned into weeks, weeks turned into months, and months went by, I just remember just saying, God, where are you, you know? What's going on, you know? Um, I, I was by myself, you know, still living with my, my mother and father in my basement, and just like just crying out to God every single day, just, you know, God, where are you? Where is this God? You know, where is this, you know, Jesus that I surrendered to? You know, where are you? Are you going to come? And I just remember, re, you know, crying out every single day. What happened, um, turning the script here, uh, what happened um, the day uh, of the accident and all that? So, um, God came, <laughs> I believe, uh, things t just started turning around and, um, everything, you know, and, you know, just by accepting Jesus into my, in, into my life, everything just changed for me. I, um, it turned me, you know, upside down, everything that I used to do before I never did before. And, um, this gal here came back around and uh we got together and uh, i remember you know getting together with her uh first thing i said to so her she came back from florida yeah she came back from florida and the, you know the first thing i said from to her was you know um i never thought i was going to see you again and uh you know every night that i went to bed you know i remember just putting my head on my pillow just thinking of her every single day of my life and now she's back Wow. Wow. We are, we got another two minutes here. Peggy, what was, in two minutes, if you can do it, what was it like on the other side of your world and then coming back together in Florida? Well, I was in Florida up until I was, I graduated high school and I came back, well, I actually had I was engaged to somebody and that didn't work out and I ended up being a single mother with my oldest son, Adam. Um, and then him and I moved back when he was three years old, we moved back here. And um, I ended up meeting somebody else. I had spoken to him and knew he was with somebody because we had touch bases and he had um, a daughter and I was like, oh, it's never going to happen. So I moved on and um, <clears throat> got married, and that didn't work out. And around the same time he was going through his stuff, I was going through my stuff, and we ended up touching bases, and here we are again. Um, but the first year of our marriage was incredibly rough, not because of ourselves, but because we encountered um, an ac a car accident. Um, with his daughter, Angela, his daughter, Chantel, and their mom. They were driving on Mother's Day um, on the highway, and 
something happened to mom and the car went off the road at 62 miles an hour and flipped over three and a half times. Mama passed away on Mother's Day and um, Angela suffered traumatic brain injury, a broken femur in her right leg and just was fighting for her life. Chantel um, landed on her bum bum and like God said, bloop, and caught her. A pastor and his wife were passer buyers and they, they saw Chantel waving for help and they stayed with her. The pastor's wife went over to Angela, prayed over Angela and stayed by her side um, because she was next to a burning car. The car had exploded. Needless to say, we were, and I was also eight and a half months pregnant with Isabel, the baby. Very tough, tough, tough moment in our, our marriage. Um, in and out of the hospital with Angela for 11 months straight. They gave us a 50-50 chance of Angela making it. This man got on his knees and surrendered Angela to the Lord and said, I'm okay. I'm okay, whatever you decide, God. And, and I agreed in prayer. And that was three hours. Three hours after we prayed that prayer, and just before that, they asked us to give up her organs. And we were like, no. And we got on our knees. And three hours later, her brain pressure, and because she was just in intensive care, it was awful. Um, and they came back, and her brain pressure went from 100 to 33. And when you have brain pressure, swelling of the brain, it should be at zero. She was at 100, and it dropped in three hours to 33. Wow. And that was a good sign. Wow. 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 And she's, a, she's here today. Wow. <laughs> what a miracle. Come on, let's celebrate. Yeah. Wow. Wow. What a story. How incredible. God is a God of compassion. Amen. Amen. Wow. Wow. Thank you, Jesus. Well, we're out of time. What a story, right? I'm a, I'm a little speechless here. I'm a little speechless here. So, Donald, just a few words after God brings back, literally brings back Angela to life. And uh, uh, what, what happened after that? If, if you can do it in a minute. I can. I can. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so she ended up, you know, living from this accident. She was in Boston's Children's Hospital where she was life flighted into. Uh, the physicians there, and I spoke with them, it just was grave. You know, she just, they just reassured her she's going to be a vegetable for the rest of her life. Uh, what you see here is what you get. She ain't changing if she even lives. So she ended up living and then went to uh, a rehabilitation center, Franciscan's Children's Hospital. So there, she spent six months there. Um, her condition there was everything that they were saying. Um, Angela was, was in this position where, um, you know, this whole part of her body was, was, was like this. She had, was breathing with a trach. She had a feeding tube. She was staring straight into space. She didn't know if you were there or not. She had diapers, and they were totally having to take care of this girl. There was nothing there exactly what they were saying. 
and the hospital would bring me into this room, okay, every month. And she was there for six months. Every month, they would bring me into this room with the doctors, the therapists, all the, you know, everybody that was taking care of her were trying to reassure me that this girl is what is plateauing. She's not going any further. We need to move her. There was another place uh, in Crotchet Mountain in New Hampshire where she was going to be able to live there forever because she needed total care. Um, so, but I went with her every single day um, and for six months. And for every month, this kept going on with, with these doctors. They kept telling me, you got to move her, you got to move her, you got to move her. Um, so six months after this accident, my family um, all came this one night. I'll never forget this night, but we uh, surrounded her bed and we all laid hands on her. And we prayed and we asked God for a miracle that day. The next day... The hospital called me up and said, your daughter's on the phone. Wow. She wants to talk to you. Wow. Wow. Yeah, Come Angela. on, let's celebrate Jesus. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Come on, we can do better than that. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to stop here. Yeah. Turn to your neighbor. Come back next week for more. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate Donald and Peggy for an incredible job. Amen. Come on, let's celebrate them. Thank you, Jesus. What, he, what God did for them, he can do for you. Amen. Wow. wow. You may be seated one more time. I'm going to take 10 minutes and just add some remarks here. I'm going to talk to you about what it means to be fully surrendered. Please say that with me, fully surrendered. One more time, fully surrendered. And we're going to connect this to their story. Let's read the, uh, the book of Matthew chapter 14 from 25 to 29. Matthew 14 from 25 to 29. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We got you. We're going to put the words on the screen. I'm going to read. Now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch of the night is any time between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. in the morning. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost. And he cried out. They cried out for fear. If you're out on the water at 3 a.m. in the morning, you see anyone or anything walking on the water, you'd be scared. So they were terrified. They were scared. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, Come. And Peter, and when Peter had come down, very important detail, when Peter had come down, please say, Come down with me. When Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on water to go to Jesus. To go to Jesus. A year ago, I had the opportunity Beautiful opportunity of going to Israel for the first time. I went there with a team of young pastors, about 28 young pastors, senior pastors like myself. And this trip was led by a, an excellent scholar on the nation of Israel. His name is Dr. Robert Stearns. Uh, when we got to Israel, Dr. Stearns asked us a question that was very interesting. He said, what would you guys like to do here while you're in Israel that Jesus did in his time. 
You've read the Bible. You know the story of Jesus. What would you like to do here in Israel that Jesus did? And he said, he added a detail. He said, ask big. Ask big. And so the different guys started talking about the different things that they wanted to do. And when it was my turn, all I could remember was ask big. And so I opened up my mouth and I said, I want to walk on water like Jesus and Peter. And so they all started laughing. They were like, dude, you're going to be the first African to walk on water. And I was like, listen, we've come a long way. If I'm going to ask to do something, I might, as well, I might as well go for the biggest thing, right? We've come this way. We're going to be in the Galilee where Jesus walked on water. I can as well try. You see, I had read the scripture so many times before. So many times before. And every time I'd read the scripture, I thought to myself, that Peter was in a boat, maybe a little canoe, with his other disciples, his other friends. And I thought, man, maybe he just took his foot out carefully, you know, and, and tested the waters. And when he saw it was working, maybe took, took the other foot out carefully. And, and hey, man, this is working. Stayed close to the canoe, close to the boat, just in case. That was always the image, the imagery that I would always have. That's what I thought. And so I was excited. I said, I'm going to try. I'm going to take my leg out, and I'm, I'm going to do just that. Maybe there's something in the Galilee that holds you. And I was okay with, with knowing that I might fail, but at least I can say I tried. That's just the kind of person I am. I can say I tried. And so I was excited until we got to the Galilee, and I saw the boat that we were going to be getting on. It wasn't a small little canoe. It was this right there. And I said to myself, okay, in order for you to get out of that boat and try to do one of this, there's just no way. There's no way. The way to walk on water from a boat like this is you have to hang on one of those things and let go. I said, uh-uh, I got a beautiful wife, beautiful kids. I'm a pastor of a church, and this is not the way I want to go out, Right? Like people asking, how, how, how did he die again? Oh, he was, he was trying to be like Jesus. <laughs> trying to be like Jesus? Isn't that a good thing? He died trying to be like Jesus? Like, uh, yeah, he was trying to walk on water. <laughs> Where? In the chouse? <laughs> in the Merrimack River? No, no, no. In the Sea of Galilee. <laughs> like, yo, this dude took WWJD to a whole nother level. <laughs> Literally. And so I say, no, I'm not going to do it. I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. No, there's no chance. There's no chance. And then I went back to the hotel that day and I read the scripture and I understood something that I'd never seen before. Verse 28. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had what? Please say that with me. When Peter had come down. That's what the Bible says. And for the first time I saw that Peter was on one of these boats. And he literally had to come down. And you've got to remember, it was 3 a.m. in the morning. Somebody say 3 a.m. So Jesus says to him, come. And Peter is there hanging on the boat like one of those. And he lets go in the dark. Completely trusting in Jesus. In order for Peter to walk on that water, he had to fully let go. Somebody say, let go. Let it go. Let it go. 
And then that's what you do when you don't know the words. Gotta get my, my daughter to help me out. But in order for him to walk on that water, he had to fully let go. It wasn't one of these. Let me try out one leg in the boat. Let me try this thing. Maybe it's gonna work, maybe not. No. There were 12 people in the boat that day. Only one walked on water because he was willing to fully surrender. Somebody say fully surrender. Impact, I want to give you a tweet. You will never experience God's maximum blessings until you fully surrender to him. Somebody say amen. If you want to experience God's maximum blessings, you have to fully surrender to God. Because this is what most people do. God, I'm going to love you. I'm going to come to church. I'll worship a little bit. And I'll give you a few Sundays a month. Maybe I'll go to, maybe I'll go to church. I'll give you one Sunday a year. I'll just go to Easter. I'll give you one Sunday. I'll, I'll worship you. But this other leg, this other part of my life, I can't give it to you. I've got to control this area of my life. Uh, th there's a relationship in my life that I know that doesn't honor you. This dude is not good for me. He's killing me. I sh as a Christian, I shouldn't be doing this. But, but this area of my life, I can't give up. I'm going to control this area. Maybe you come to church and you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show up in church. But this whole giving thing, this whole tithing, that's 10% of my money. This, that whole thing is crazy. So I'm going to control this area of my life. I'll give you a little bit. But I'm going to control this area. I'm going to love you. I'm going to worship you. I'll serve. I'll even, I'll, I'll even wear the t-shirt. And I'll serve. But I can't forgive my mother. I can't forgive my father. I can't forgive my first husband, my spouse. I can't forgive this person. I can't, I, I'll give you this part, but I can't give you this part. And we have a lot of people that come to church and they're miserable because there's an area of your life that you haven't fully surrendered to God. I know people who go from church to church and they are miserable because they don't, they don't come to a church like this to really fully surrender to the vision that God has released in a house like this. You're pursuing a personal agenda. That's why you've gone from church to church to church and you're not happy. What is God saying to you? That you need to fully surrender. Let me ask you this question. Because you know what God is saying to you. You know what God is speaking to you. You know it. You know the area of your life that, that God wants you to surrender. But you have excuse after excuse after excuse. And you're blaming everybody else. But you know that there's an area in your life which God wants you to surrender. You will never experience maximum peace and satisfaction. Until you fully surrender to God. And it's not easy. It's not easy. But you have to fully surrender. Most of you know I grew up in Africa. I'm sure you can tell by my beautiful exotic accent. And so one day I was in Africa playing. I was 10 years old. And I was just playing in the yard. Playing in the yard. My mother was sitting somewhere there reading a book. And my father was somewhere working in the garden. And I was just minding my own business and playing. All of a sudden I heard my mother yell out, Senzo! Don't move. She said it in my language. She said, Zenzo, Usayende. And so remember, I was raised by, by an African mother. When she says, don't move, you don't move. Because I wasn't raised in a place where there's, there's time out. No, there's knockout. Mama will knock you out. 
time out is the time you spend when you've been knocked out. You can't taste your food for the next seven days. Are you guys clapping for that? Why are you guys clapping? So when she said, don't move, I froze. Didn't understand why she said, don't move. Didn't get it. Didn't understand it. But I froze. Thought she was being mean, but I froze. And then I heard a thump on the other side. And my father had just killed a poisonous snake, a black mamba. Mama saw it and she said, don't move. Now you would say my mother saved my life and you'd be right. But you'd be incomplete. It was also my obedience and my full surrender to her instruction that saved my life. And there are many people you've come into this place. Ah, and God is yelling, don't move. Get out of that relationship. Begin to serve. Go to church more often. You know what God is saying to you. And you're saying, I don't get it. Why are you yelling at me? I don't, I don't understand it. I don't get it. I don't, I, why am I going through this pain? Why, why are you yelling at me? And life is biting at you like a poisonous snake. It's because you've not fully submitted yourself to God. My mother wasn't yelling and saying, don't move because she's trying to be mean. She wasn't trying to spoil the fun. She saw something that I couldn't see. She was trying to protect me. God loves you. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to rescue you. What is it that you need to fully surrender, whether you understand it or not? That's what happened to Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. God sent Jesus, his only son, to die. And I'm sure he was like, I don't get this. Why? He said, please let this cup pass over me. I don't want to do this. Why would you want me to die, Daddy? Your, your Daddy, I don't get it. I don't understand it. But he went to the grave and died. But because he fully surrendered to his father, he raised him up on Easter Sunday. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. You fully surrender to God. And I'm here to tell you whether you understand it or not, God's about to raise you up because you're fully going to surrender today in Jesus' name. Please stand. Please stand. Come on, please stand. Hallelujah. You see, that's what Donald did. Donald was in this crazy relationship. He was living for himself in a broken relationship with a woman who was not being good to him, cheating on him, and he couldn't get out of it. That, that's not love. And that's what happens when you don't fully surrender your life to Jesus. You, you can't see things right. He was fighting for these houses. Lawyers saying, you, you know, you need to just give up those houses. And he was fighting and fighting. But Donald's life changed the moment he fully surrendered. And what Donald didn't say to you guys is that all those houses, by the way, were given back to him. Amen. And that's what the devil wants you to do. He wants you to work for stuff that God can, own, can give to you for free if you just fully surrender. He tells you you need to do this. And God can give it to you. And now look at Donald and his wife. They're leaders in our church. God is using them because they fully surrendered. I want every eye closed in this place. Please, if you can't close your eyes. If you're in this place and you've heard, you know God's speaking to you. It's time to fully surrender. It's time to come back to church. Maybe mama brought you to church. Daddy brought you to church. But you've stopped this. You know you got to get back to church. If you don't know already, we are living in dangerous times. These are times to be serious with God. 
These are times to be serious with God. Tomorrow is not promised. And for some of you who are Christians, you come to church over and over and over. This is not just an altar call for people who are new in church. There's some of you in this place. You need to surrender fully to God. You know what God's saying to you. You're doing it your own way. That's why you're unhappy. I'm going to count and I'm going to say one, two, three. And as soon as I say three, I want you to throw your hand up like Donald and say, God, I surrender my life to you. I surrender my life to you. I worship you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. We bless you, Jesus. I'm getting ready to count. Do it with boldness. Do it like Donald did it. And your life will be changed. Your life will be changed. Just trust God. Just trust God. Like I trusted my mother when she said, don't stop. Here we go. One, two, three. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Hands up. Look at all those hands. Look at all those hands. Please keep those hands up. Come on, let's celebrate Jesus. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up. Keep those hands up to Jesus. Keep those hands up for Jesus. Keep those hands up. 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 You can put your hands down. Now, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Matter of fact, I want everybody to help them and pray this prayer. If you put your hand up, please say, Father, I give you my life. Jesus. I say yes to you. Today, I fully surrender to your will. I declare that you're the son of God. I declare that you died and rose again. I declare that I surrender to you today. Somebody shout hallelujah. Come on and celebrate. Come on and celebrate. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. We're going to come alive in the river of God to this place, in this place, because we've been 